Hello everybody and welcome. This is the Midnight McBride Show, show number 67 and the show is called Emma Kenny. Now you can probably guess why I've got psychologist and amazing human being in the studio, <laughs> Emma Kenny. How are you doing Emma? I'm good, thanks for having me. Good. I am, I don't swear too often, fucking delighted you're in the <laughs> studio. I am, I am, I'm really, really happy. I didn't for a while, because a lot of people watch TV and I, I don't. I don't. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, maybe two, three years ago, didn't know who you were. No. And the last 12 months or so, not necessarily associated with TV and stuff, but I've become very aware of you. Mm-hmm. And I've been watching <laughs> your videos and stuff. And uh, I love your message. I love what you're doing. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy you're here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. So I've got a little monologue I'm going to read first. We like a monologue. Mm, a little monologue. Are you going to do it in an accent? Uh, <laughs> to be sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll read it though because I'll fluff it otherwise. I'll probably fluff it anyway, but it doesn't matter, <laughs> does it? People that have nothing and have been trodden on all their lives are usually going to stand up for what is right because they have nothing left to lose. The people in power expect this. But the start of real change in the world comes when those who are in a position of influence stand up. These people that are considered successful and have a degree of comfort in their life, quite often famous, still standing by their ethics, morals and beliefs, regardless of the consequences to themselves. When these people are willing to adapt and risk all to do what is right, this is the start of the waterfall. Every waterfall starts with but one drop of water. This is how we change the world. And I don't use this title very often. I've only ever used it twice before, Emma, but I think... You're certainly deserving of it, and that is you are a warrior of light. Oh, that's a lovely introduction. Yeah, it's I like a, the idea of being a warrior of light. It's a polo... Particularly if it's a very powerful light, one yeah. that can burn people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Paolo Coelho book, and it's, it's, it's actually based on the Tao, but it's about somebody that goes around the world shining their light. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really important. So, Emma, we'll start with... How I got this introduction. <laughs> and it's from my good friend and your good friend, Sally Bolton. Yeah, Sally went to my primary school. So I saw her on social media. I don't know why. She must have come up as a suggested friend on my Facebook. And I instantly recognized her because she was a few years younger than me at school. And I just have a really good memory yeah. for faces. And her mother was the secretary, Mrs. Bolton, who was lovely at my primary school. So I friended her and I've been building an app that's the free app for mental, physical, nutritional and wellness psychologically. And obviously Sally has the body of a 22 year old. I know. And I was like, I definitely want to speak to her about that. But then when we met, we just have a real connection. She's just one of those really good human beings, isn't she? Yeah. So she, she was like, you need to meet my friend and do a podcast with him. So I was like, that's fine. Her energy levels are infectious. And her laugh. Yeah. You spend 10 minutes with Sally and she'll just pick up your mood. She does it with She's me, just very know. honest. Mm. That's what makes her special. That she's just really authentic. You just know that you'd see her one year and 10 years later and she'd still be as warm and open as she is. Yeah. And you should see her biceps. She Unbelievable. Can do, she can do... It's the only bit that I kind of think she shouldn't be allowed in my house for. <laughs> the yeah. fact that you look at her and I'm like, mm, I'm not really sure that I want that comparison anywhere near me. I've seen a video of her doing like 10 or 12 straight pull-ups, full pull-ups, and even with additional weight. Which I is, know. Most blokes can't do that. It's utterly sickening. Yeah. We can all agree. So, Emma, if you've seen this show, what we do is we go on a bit of a journey about somebody's life. Oh, it would be nice to go on a journey, yeah. wouldn't it, right now? And <laughs> We bring them into the present moment. And I say in the book, one of the quotes in my book is, 
Your past doesn't define you. It's just the view on the journey to this present moment. Mm -hmm. But quite often when you see somebody's life story prior to what they're doing now, it all falls into place. Mm -hmm. And it it's, can be quite inspiring. So we're going to do it with you too. Let's do it. Yeah. Emma Kenny, life story. Yeah. Emma Kenny, Burry Girl. Burry Girl, born and bred. Yeah. Born and bred. Yeah. That's exactly where I was born. Holcomb Brook. Yeah. I go cycling and running over there quite a lot. It's beautiful. It is. But when I was young, it wasn't really a wealthy area. It was a really ordinary area because you used to have to have a car to be able to travel places. So it was one of those classic places where the overspill from cities started to become more and more out. So Holcomb Brook was not an affluent area when I was a kid, which was really ordinary. Mm. Threadbare carpets in my mum and dad's house, but my dad was a sales rep. So yeah. because he was a sales rep, he had a car. But it's it's beautiful. You're right on the cusp of a lot of the countryside. Oh, it's now, yeah. The hills and I hit the hills when I go running, you know. It's a funny space for me. It used to be my happiest place in the world. But in the past few years, because of things that have happened, which I suppose we'll come on to later on, going back there isn't quite the same anymore. I'm having a bit of a break from that area just because it reminds yeah. me of things that are sad. I think it's really healthy sometimes to just a change of environment. Yeah, I think when my mum sells the house, I'll move entirely from the whole of this area <laughs> the world from this maybe <laughs> yeah, from like the go to another planet yeah, yeah. <laughs> elon might be ready for that by then i might be one of those well, that advertise going to mars yeah pop a little Neuralink in my head as well and i'll be able to know google it'd be brilliant <laughs> how was your school life emma i loved primary school yeah. i loved it i remember primary school not necessarily even for the relationships because there were still things at primary school. I always felt hyper aware of myself. I had really horrible tics. I still have tics. <laughs> they said tits tics. then. No, <laughs> didn't have any tics. <laughs> Not at all. So about 17, it was very slow progress for me. Yes. But um, I had tics, physical tics. And I right. also felt really on show. I don't know why I had that really visceral, cerebral experience of always feeling like, people would notice me because I felt taller and I wasn't necessarily, it was just a feeling. But the actual school experience of lessons and stuff, I found things easy. And I liked the fact we did pottery and sport. I was really good at sport. I excelled at sport. I was a really good runner, really good yeah. swimmer. So they were things that I stood out for. And it's just a dead ordinary school, Green Mountain County Primary at the time. But then I went to Berry Grammar yeah. and everything just went massively downhill. When you say ticks, as in somebody maybe has Tourette's and the... Right. This, this I is... can control them. Right. If you look at your edit of this, there'll be moments where I do that. But it's fine. Right. It's a physicalized way of releasing anxiety, I guess. Yeah. But didn't look great when I was like a kid and had like nine of them all at the same time and just like looked like I was having some kind of fit walking down the street, yeah. which is something that definitely happened. Yeah. But secondary school, it, secondary school was not a bad place. Like... Berry Grammar was not a bad school and the girls were not nasty. It, they really weren't. You know, I think you get a lot of things about bullying and all of that. I really didn't have any of that. Like the girls were really lovely, but academically it was just a different world. Yeah. They gave me the Odyssey on day one. The Odyssey. I hadn't even read Enid Blyton. I'm sure they made a mistake letting me go there, passing the test. It was probably some miscalculation. Well, I've only been in your company briefly now and I've seen some of your videos and stuff and you're clearly highly intelligent. I think that what I am is very intelligent at communication and thought processes. So like I'm really quick solution wise and I can really connect with somebody asking me a question. But if you put me on the chase in general knowledge, I'd be thrown out. <laughs> It'd be like this woman can never yeah. be on our screens again. In fact, my agent was saying, you know, maybe we need to get you on some 
shows like that. And I was like, no, let's not do that. Let's never do that. She was like, why? I was like, because I'm really stupid. Yeah. I'm It'd very fun, stupid. Yeah, it fun. would be fun. Only because <laughs> I'd be on the worst celebrity attempts. Yeah, the outtakes. She said yeah. to me, they make it easier. I said, they won't make it easy enough. No, I think they'd make it hard for you. Wouldn't I, they, they wouldn't make it easy enough. Even if they made it hard for me, it'd be even worse. If yeah. it was easy, I'd still fail. I think I could probably go on something like Bake Off, but only as the blooper reel person right. who goes, it tastes good, but looks like terrible shit. At school, this is, I found this fascinating when I looked at your notes, is, and it all started to make sense, is that you saw a psychologist yourself. I saw a clinical psychologist, yeah. yeah. I was sent. It wasn't like I actively went, oh, I'd like to go and see Dr. John Kenworthy or whatever. It was more that I was sent to go and see a psychologist because I didn't like school. I wasn't going on very often. I was, you know, always playing pool somewhere else and just trying to kind of live a different lifestyle because I felt like school didn't fit me. I didn't really connect with the work. I found it really boring. And their way of dealing with it was there must be something wrong with me, which yeah. I completely understand. And I was statemented as dyslexic at 14, 15, which that had been a long time coming. So again, it was the Emma's lazy because I expressed myself really well, but I couldn't then translate that to my written work at the time. Now I can. As you grow older, you develop strategies and you learn how to express yourself. And when there's no pressure, somebody isn't giving you an exam to do, you know, you can quite happily go and write something beautiful, although there'll be no punctuation in it, obviously. And I won't know whether some of it's spelt right, but it will read well to some degree. Yeah. But I think that going and seeing that psychologist, there was nothing wrong with him at all. But I just remember thinking, how do you get paid to sit in a room and talk to a young person? Not very well either. I don't think that you young people need to be spoken to differently to adults. That was always my real when I work with young people. And I came out and just said to my mum one day, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna work with people. And she was like, oh, that's a good idea. And I was like, right, okay, I'll do it. That was how it was. And I was just really lucky to kind of get my grades scraping through because I really did very little. And school was a pretty disastrous experience for me academically, although I absolutely was loved by an English teacher and an RE teacher, Mrs. Skinner and Mrs. Kerr, and both of those made me feel that even when I was failing, that I had this success that I could yeah. find. And my dad at school as well would always be like, he'd congratulate me for crossing the road. So even though I didn't have big aspirations, I, I always had a really good level of, you're not measured just by what people think. And there was one teacher that did me a massive favor when I was 17. I won't mention her. She's not a bad human being, I'm sure. Sure, she has reasons for the way that she speaks to kids. But she said to me, Emma, I know that I've always wanted to be pretty and that's something you've achieved. Bear in mind, I had a really bad perm and right. questionable teeth. And she said, that's what I've, you've achieved. She said, and that must make you feel happy. And I was like, not really. And she said, but that must be how you feel about being academic. And she was basically saying that she achieved academia and I never would. And I thought, yeah. right, I'm going to go and do some academic I, then. I think when you're younger, if you find a teacher, I didn't excel at certain subjects. The ones where I got on with the teacher... I did really well. Of course. Effortlessly. Feeling because liked I, you is have really a relationship important. with them and, yeah. you know, and they take an interest yeah. in you. And I also think that once you discover what your passion is, yeah. what your dharma is, what you love to do, then you're saying that, you know, at that time you weren't excelling in school. Once you discovered psychology, once you realised you were interested in the mind mm. and pursued that, you excelled at it. I think what more than anything is the biggest mistake in our system is that we send kids to school at like four and five years old and we teach them really quickly what is a success and failure and actually it's based on nothing it's just based on academia and right. academia is one area of intelligence you right. know i remember working with boys and girls at pru units and 
watching some of my boys take car engines apart like it was just second nature and always thinking, you know, they could be a surgeon. They're born in the wrong postcode to the wrong place, wrong parents sometimes. They didn't have the options, but the fact that they can take a car engine apart means that they can take a human body apart and put it back together. If you read the book that I've given you, I hope you do it. I will, point. of course I will. Yeah. I love reading. But if you do, there's a, a chapter in there and it's, I call it Happy Class. It's about on the syllabus, we use a compass to navigate through life that mm. we're given from our peers, teachers, etc., parents even. And this is to pursue wealth, money, status. It's the wrong compass. Mm. It's simply this. What makes you happy? And does it benefit other people? Have it, is it purpose? Purpose is everything, yeah. right? And, and at school, we're, all the subjects we do are designed, you know, I say all careers advisors need careers advice. Yeah. Because we're all designed to push towards what's going to get you the most money. They don't teach you good mental health. They don't teach you how to behave with other people socially. They don't teach you to meditate. They don't give you life skills, so that, you know, to find joy and bliss. There's no happy class. The most important thing you can learn as a human being mm. and be taught as a child is how to be happy, you know, for good mental health. It's not on the syllabus. No, it's really hard for teachers as well, isn't it? Because now there isn't the funding where those things should happen. So it's kind of catch-22. But I'm a massive believer that emotional literacy and happiness and contentment and purpose are the things that make us feel most yeah. at peace. If you feel valued and if you're helping other people, yeah. you've cracked it. Yeah, of course you have. As mm. long as you can eat and you've got a roof over your head, you're lucky. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I've. It's nice to have nice things, but I'm life's experiential. It's If somebody said to you, do you remember what I bought you five years ago for Christmas? No, no no idea. Do you remember that time we went to Thailand? Yes. Yes. You know, gotcha. it's all about experience, yeah. You also mentioned you'd worked three voluntary jobs about this period. Oh, no, at university, yeah, I went crazy with it. I just yeah. was like straight away when I went to university and I started my psychology degree, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do amazing things. So I set up a community group where I had like single mums bring their kids so that they could have some time off and they like looked after each This is back in the day before CRBs, you know? Yeah. I think I did my first CRB probably on my third job or something like that. But it was great. And I worked for very local authority two days a week. So I went to university like Monday, Tuesday and Friday. So there were two days a week. So I'd come back and I'd work at very local authority. And I did this like pupil liaison work where it's basically like therapy without any qualifications, which again, sounds terrible now, but was brilliant. It was like, I was just straight in there. And then the minute that I, oh, drugs line as well. I worked as a drugs line volunteer. Then when I left my university degree, two days afterwards, I started my first job before I'd even got my results. Yeah. You're... Basically helping people all the time. Everything you do is helping people. It's beautiful. I think people are just a bit of a drug for me, though. And also, I lived at the time with my boyfriend at university, and he had bipolar. So we had really bad problems with his mental health, and he was suicidal quite a lot. And he attempted to kill himself on my final degrees, like dates. So I was really out for two exams and stuff. And it was really hard because the university, I was getting a straight first, and the university basically, because I wasn't married to him, wouldn't give me any concession. So it brought my grade down. It so was you, really sad. You don't have a piece of paper, so we're not... It's it was really bonkers, sad, though, because I'd excelled. Yeah. I'd done mm. really well. I mean, it's one of those things. I'm in touch still with my old professor, and he said it's one of the biggest regrets of his career that he never managed to get it through for me. Yeah. And it's moments like that, though, where you think you've just got to accept that you're not judged by other people, you're judged yeah. by the self. Looking at your life now, though... It's just a stepping stone. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, my yeah. life is a bit like your life in the fact that I've never really taken my life seriously as far as money and success or anything like that. It's just not the way I am. Yeah. I just have a really small world. And I think that the great thing about technology is that 
I can sit in my room and just do things for people that they wouldn't ordinarily have because technology allows it. It's the only thing I like about technology. Like yeah. the rest of it, I kind of think if you really want to do damage these days, you wouldn't use technology. You'd write somebody a letter. You know, if you want to do anything illegal, write a letter. No one's expecting that stuff. You know, <laughs> speak the word. Don't leave evidence because everything's kind of encrypted, but everything's stored, isn't it? But I do think that technology is amazing, like YouTube and being able to do all my live stuff, my mental mm. health clinics, that matters. For me, people used to use Zoom. I used I've used it before, and if you're speaking to somebody in America, that was always what it was for. But a lot of people, with everything that's going on at the minute, who's in Zoom for everything, and there's like somebody two miles away, somebody in Bury, somebody there, and they're doing it on Zoom. And for that reason, I've refused. I won't do anything on Zoom mm. because I think once you go down that road, there's no going back. So I also understand the value of it. I've had a lady on here called Donna Webb, and she's a beautiful lady. She's spent 30 years working for the Samaritans, and just a beautiful soul. And for her, she's doing uh, support groups, bereavement uh, support groups, things like that. So she's actually saving lives with Zoom. So mm. I get it. But personally, for me, I won't. I won't There's nothing it. beats the real person, mm. is there? Absolutely. You were also a bit of an activist, Emma. You were a oh, I was a hunt sab. Yes. Yeah, animal rights. I'd still do that now if I could. I'd probably get into trouble, though, if I was doing things like that these days. But yeah, throughout my teens and my early 20s, before I went traveling, that's what I did at a weekend. I went and destroyed hunts. <laughs> Everybody's got their own ideas. I think it's frigging ridiculous so that you I. would chase an innocent animal and then ideally rip it to pieces and think that that was sport. That's not sport. It's the aristocracy on crack, as far as I'm concerned, and mm -hmm. they shouldn't do it. And that's it. And there's no in-between. And I still have exactly the same feelings towards those individuals as I do back then. And it's the one thing that's been very static in my life. <laughs> Even had like a hunt exemption during, uh, you know, COVID times. Unbelievable. Of course I, they have. And hunting, mm, full mm, stop. Mm. Because obviously that's, you can't stop rich it people. Inconveniences the social scene, doesn't exactly. it? Because they go prancing around. Yeah. yeah, there's a them and us where all of those social sports are concerned. And I'm just absolutely against anything. I'm against the fact that we call squirrels in the UK. That's crazy. I've got a rescue squirrel yeah. that I've had from three weeks. I love squirrels. Blows my mind. You I know, love he's, them. He's such a sentient creature. You mm -hmm. know, he's in a big enclosure outside. But then at night he comes in and he sleeps in my bathroom and he's got his own little den in there. And he's really cuddly and he stops and looks at me and he's so loving. And I'm like, but Prince Charles wants you to kill them. Like, who's got a right to do that? So, yeah, my bugbear in life is anybody who thinks they have a right to take life. I'm completely cool with people making decisions over what they eat. That's up to the individual. Personally, I don't get why anyone would do a sentient being any harm because yeah. I'm a sentient being and I would never want anybody to do me harm. And I certainly wouldn't do anybody else harm. Yeah. And human beings generally... We're akin to a disease or a virus. We go around and we kill everything en masse. We kill the planet. We kill animals. We kill each other. We're the only sentient beings that kill each other en masse. Mm -hmm. Nobody else. I, and ironically, we were also the only sentient beings who protect each other. So there's this like dichotomy mm. because humans do amazing things for other populations and other animals and other environments. You know, we're incredible. In fact, the majority of us, if we're shown the way and shown that route, we would choose not to do harm. I think it's more that we're ignorant. I yeah. genuinely think that most human beings are just unaware of their potential. They're unaware of the opportunities. Yeah. yeah. And actually, it's not that people are actively trying to do any harm. It's that they haven't thought about it in a certain way. Whereas I've spent my entire life trying to think about things differently. So I don't ever see the moment I see the potential of the damage to that moment or the potential of the good to that moment. And that's the way I've always been. And it's a bit like expecting that everybody has the same pair of eyes as you. I don't now. I got educated in therapy when I imagined that when I could see these solutions, it seemed so obvious to me. 
And I'd be thinking, why is this person, surely they've thought about that. And it would almost stop me from, in a integrative way, exploring that particular perspective with them. And then starting to explore it and they were like, oh my God, I've never thought of it like that. I realized it was my arrogance of believing that everybody was the same that stopped me from really being able to expose, shift their emotional asthma, so to speak. Yeah. So helping them to do that helped me to go, all ah, right, just as somebody can look at an algebraic equation and know how to solve it, I'll never be able to do that. It's definitely not something I can do. I can do that with problems, but I shouldn't expect other people to be able to do that for themselves. We all have our gifts. Yeah. So I don't think that human beings are going out of their way to be horrifically destructive. In fact, the thing that I think is really sad is that most human beings just believe if they're sold it, it must be okay. That's the way that you imagine the world to be. If I'm being sold this, surely there must be an okay level to what I'm eating, drinking, putting in my home, spraying in my laundry. That must make sense. Of course, it doesn't. It's all about money and corruption yeah. and privilege. I. I don't know where to start with everything you've just said. I've always said that you question everything. Question something, and if it stands up, think, okay, yeah, that's great. But question everything. Do not take it just because somebody says this is how it is. Mm. You need to question. It's healthy. Secondly, as human beings, we only understand a fraction of our potential. We are capable of, of so much. Each time we do something, it can start, say you run 5K, you go outside your comfort zone, and at first you have all these negative thoughts, and then you do it, and you feel good, and you think, actually, it wasn't nearly that bad. I can probably run 10K. Yeah. And then you keep going. And eventually you've got no comfort zone and you realize you're an infinite being and you yeah. can do almost anything. And I've, I've discovered this. Yeah, know, I agree. It's wonderful. Are you still a vegan, Emma? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So my son is also vegan and my husband and my other son are mostly vegan, but my husband likes cheese. <laughs> yeah. So, but again, veganism is one of those weird things at the moment because actually what's happened is there's been a massive investment of money from certain parties, shall we say, certain wealthy people who've put a huge amount of money into stopping us eating meat. Now, on one level, I'm really happy about the fact that people are going to be given options to eat a more, I would say, healthy, less cruel diet. But I really don't like processed food. And suddenly veganism is akin to McDonald's because you can just go out and buy shit. That's not what veganism is about. It's not about substituting processed shit for me. Because actually, yeah. I think that's less healthy. They have like a fake sausages and bacon and stuff yeah. like that, don't they? Yeah. I'm thinking, well, if, if you're not going to eat bacon and sausages, why do you want to eat something that looks like bacon and sausage? But yeah, I would never, good. ever condescend to say to a meat eater that it's healthier to eat some processed thing that's been grown somewhere than organic beef, for example. I think that would be false and I think that would be unhelpful but that's what's happening. And you just have to look at the way that investors are buying up massive amounts of farmland. So I did some research the other day about farms in the UK, they're pretty much all under offer, that never happens. And it's because farmland is gonna be a resource, where we grow our food is gonna be a resource. And it's the same in America, you know, certain people are buying, well, certain people are the biggest landowners in America, yeah. and there's a reason for that. And if there's a reason for that, you have to start thinking about, well, why is it? And it's not because they're gonna be farming your meat. It's not going to happen. So you have to then say to yourself, okay, what is this about? So veganism, I think, has become quite we weaponized. Whereas for me, like before I came here today, I just get loads of chickpeas and spices and red kidney beans and things like that. And I'll just throw them in a pan and I'll put some rice with it and I'll just leave it all day. And it's like a really healthy food and it's cheap. I like yeah. cheap food. I come from a Northern working class background. I like my cheap food. I can serve the whole family with it. 
everyone will be full and there'll be leftovers tomorrow. That is a cheap way of living and it's also a healthy way of living. But if I go out and buy the substitutes, which my youngest son likes quite a lot of those substitutes. He's a young lad. He likes being able to go out and have a burger with his mates. So obviously a vegan burger at a place with vegan mayonnaise and all of that, that's kind of cool because you can just go and chill with them and eat. I get it. Yeah. But he knows that's not healthy. He knows that that's not how you eat all the time. So veganism for me is becoming weaponized. It really is. Anything that I think gets weaponized, I start to really question why and what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. I can't imagine you drinking coffee. I know you don't drink coffee now, Emma, but sometimes you clearly, you talk very fast, very passionate about what you talk about. So on co if you're on coffee, I probably couldn't keep up. <laughs> <laughs> I've not drank coffee though, only from like four weeks. I did a complete detox. I came off everything. Oh, so you were I, drinking it up till that yeah, yeah, I would I would have yeah. mainlined, mainlined it in my veins. <laughs> I'm like very much a pro coffee so person. It's, it's a recent... Well, I watched strange. a video. It's really strange. I'm not somebody I think that changes very often as far as like, I'm constantly looking and evolving and growing and learning. Everybody is. But I'm not somebody who has massive epiphanies anymore. You know, at least not when they're unexpected. So yeah. maybe if I'm seeking some kind of transition. But things recently have been strange. And I always look for synchronicity in the universe. And I kind of imagine that most things that you kind of come across if you kind of take time to look at the signs and symbols you'll kind of understand what the message is and i was watching a video it's a banned ted talk which actually one? it's about ayahuasca graham graham Hancock. is he the guy who went and lived out there and's taken it loads he's an author he's, he yes was, he's, it's uh, he him. wears glasses that's him really looks like a really yeah, ordinary guy the talk's about 20 minutes long and it's called it's one of my favorite ted yeah TED i love talks. it it was in they only banned two. They banned Rupert Sheldrake mm. uh, because he could prove that the speed of life wasn't constant and they didn't like that. And he's a beautiful man Isn't it as crazy well. that they ban anything? Mm. And then Graham Hancock, they banned him because he was saying that it's all about how we become disconnected from spirit. So it was watching it because it had been banned. I like seeing anything that's banned. I think that if you're banning it, I need to instantly see it mm. unless it's hate-filled or abusive, yeah. in which case I wouldn't want to see it. But if it's just a different opinion and a different mindset and consciousness, I'm damn straight down there. I mean, you, the worst thing you can do is tell me I can't do something because I'm yeah. going to instantly want to do it. I love as well, if somebody else has a different point of view or perspective and they explain it and I go, whoa, I, right. never, I never thought about it like that. Well, he was I feel my brain expanding. Yeah, well, he was know? talking and it wasn't the bit about Ashka, which I think is incredible when you listen to the way that he talks about people who found it and the fact out of 40,000 leaves, yeah. they use the one that means that you can absorb it in your gut and all of that. Yeah. So I was just watching it, kind of interested in that whole area, particularly because of our now changing ideas around things like psilocybin to treat depression yeah. and other hallucinogenics that are helping with mental health. Mm -hmm. And also even MDMA has been used a great deal yeah. in trauma therapy. So it's a big passionate area of mine to look at those things. But it wasn't the bit about the spiritual experience and Mother Ayahuasca coming and visiting you and anything that was kind of about the inclination of that particular substance. It was what he said about human beings in the modern age and Western life. And it was all about stimulants. Yeah. And I thought, that's me. Like Sugar, I, coffee. All oh, of it. Yeah. Pain meds. Yeah. I've got a disc that's kind of squashed in my back. And they put me on tramadol, which is an opiate. Yeah. And... They gave me eight a day and I didn't take it, Very but I'd have like two in the morning mm -hmm. and maybe two in the evening. And I felt like, okay, they would have said, you'll never be able to get better. It will always be the way and it's just gonna degenerate. Well, I've stopped it generating by exercise. So number one, I don't believe people when they tell me, but if I had, that could have been catastrophic for me. But secondly, I watched that and I thought, I'm not gonna do this. I've just started 
buying into what people do in the Western world, which is like drinking loads of coffee when you're tired and taking the payment when you're in pain and not thinking about your body. And even though I think I'm quite a conscious person, that's what I've been doing. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I just thought, yeah. I'm coming off it all. So I came off everything within a day and it was horrific. I had three days of hell. They're all for overriding the system. It's the like stopping saying, consciousness. Slow down, sleep, relax, don't do that. And we're saying, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Take that, take that, take yeah. that. And I've read a book and it was Deepak Chopra. And yeah. He always wanted... I don't read his books so much anymore, but I read a lot of Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, Sadhguru, things like this. And he always said, he tells this story and it's about believe the diagnosis, not the prognosis. Mm. And there was a guy and he got x-rayed years ago with a football injury. Anyway, 20 years later, uh, he's got, he gets x-rayed again and they find these tumours in mm. his lung and they give him four weeks to live and he dies. They then get his medical records together and look at the previous x-ray the tumours were there 20 years ago, but because he hadn't been told he was going to die, he didn't. Mm. Once you buy into that, whatever you believe, you manifest it, becomes your reality. And the prognosis, I had it with my knees. I was doing Ironman. Prior to that, I'd been told three operations on each knee, probably not going to be able to walk. I completely ignored them. Changed my diet, started doing yoga, meditation, everything else. And then I started running. Contrary to the advice they gave me, running, 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 I had bad arthritis in both knees, damaged ligaments, tendons, everything. After this, I've been back, everything completely gone, healed, pain-free. They can't explain it. This is a miraculous healing miracle machine. If only <laughs> you give it the right stuff in it and yeah. the right stuff around it. Yeah, I think that, like I said, one of the things that we've got used to is giving our power away medically. That's not to say that doctors and nurses and all those involved don't do an amazing job. They do. But what I'm saying is that if you give your power away, if you go, okay, your job is to heal me, then you don't have any control over it. Whereas if you think to yourself, my body is something that I can work with to do as much as I can to make it work as best as it can and to have power over that, you don't feel helpless. Yeah. You know, in any way, death is just a momentary breath in our life. It's brilliant that we die. I love it. Yeah. I'm really excited about death. I know that sounds really weird. I. My husband thinks I'm really weird, but I'm like really excited. I don't like losing people that I love, but I know that they're where I want to go, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's more of a, I really miss them. I'm really frustrated that I'm not with them. I believe when we close our eyes, this, your true nature, your inner self, that, that is you, your soul never dies. No, we'll, yeah. We'll transition, we'll change form and we'll move through different lives and in different realms. That never dies. And so death is just part of your journey. Definitely. That's all it is. And I lost the fear of death quite a few years ago. And I want to live my life to the full. And when my time comes, no problem. That's my frustration with the last year, really, that I feel that if I died tomorrow, I'd really regret the last year. Mm. I'd really feel that I'd not had any of the opportunities to do and be and experience the things that I want to do and be and experience. And I think mm. that that's really problematic for my psyche because... Yeah. I don't feel comfortable being in four walls. No, the, the biggest thing for me is travel because I love yeah. to travel. I think we were born to travel as human beings. We're not meant to be stationary. We're meant to roam. We're yeah, meant to see new see things, scenery. new cultures, new yeah. places. And I like the sun. And people. Yeah. Oh, I love the sun. Mm. I, miss the, I miss the sun. I spend a lot really. of time at the moment just thinking about where I'm going to end up living. Yeah. Because yeah. it's definitely made me go. We're thinking the same. Don't want to stay in this situation, in this place. You started... Work straight away, two yeah. years after your exams. Yeah, I did. And I did that for a few years and it was great and I really enjoyed it. And then I thought, what am I doing? I really need to do something different. Spread your wings. So I ended up taking a job in France and 
getting over to France and working as a group leader for young people in holidays, PGL holidays. Did that for about nine months. And then I saved not a lot of money, but enough to just get a flight. So I ended up in Australia and then I just managed to bum around for a while. And then I'd read runes, cut hair sometimes. Read runes? Yeah, I read runes, yeah. Awesome. Done that for forever. But I could charge like $5 and people would pay for my dinner basically at, at some point i'd love you to yeah read i do runes runes. i love runes. Yeah. runes are really good people don't really understand runes it's not like prediction it's more about self to self so it's like having a therapist in your room like listen to the signs and symbols so i used to do room reading every day for myself and lived by that for many years but um i ended up going all over the world bali i lived for a year i loved oh, it yeah. so i spent three years away and it was yeah. amazing and i came back and i think that you still have that western centric model so i came back started university straight again to do my advanced diploma in therapy and then to go further on in that and i got a job with traveling minorities which is amazing it's the best fun ever working in salford and little halton on sites yeah. and it was just so much fun still in contact with a lot of those people and i had the most amazing time traveling but i wish that i'd done it for longer mm. i wish i hadn't had that the time is ticking mm. because it was ridiculous time isn't ticking that's just like somebody lying to you and going that you're going to be a grown-up like yeah. stop that I tell anybody, people that have come on the show as well, if you get the window and the opportunity to travel, you've got to take Just it. Just don't come back. Those windows don't appear don't that back. often in your life. So I wish I hadn't yeah. come back. I really don't. But my mum and dad came to visit me in Bali and I hadn't really got a great relationship with my mum, particularly before I went travelling. Then she came over and she spent three weeks travelling with me and I just really liked her. And my dad had always loved to pieces. And yeah. I thought, I'm going to miss them. If I don't come home, I'm not going to see them as they get older and I'm gonna not experience having a relationship in the way. So I went home and then the rest is history. I had kids, so yeah. that was it. In your notes you're saying that you came back as a, a therapist. So pack off your travels or Yeah, I came back and trained at Manchester University. I did the advanced diploma in therapy it was there, advanced diploma in counselling. Um and I was working at the same time doing pupil referral units, running social psychology there. I really got involved in crime projects. What, what's that? Tell us about that, Emma. Back in the day, it was called Crime Concern, and it was where you would go to a place that was really high-level team crime and kids who were involved in crime and criminal behaviour and out of school, and I would set a project up. But I didn't do it in the typical way. So I wasn't interested in reading and writing. I was interested in getting kids off the street and yeah. literally bringing them into a safe space and then teaching them that adults don't have to be arseholes. There's a lot of authority no disrespect but there's a lot of authority that teaches kids from very difficult environments that they're worthless and so my job was to undo that so I used to have them for two years and it was summer I remember every single day of that experience in Withenshaw I worked initially yeah. just as summer because the young people were so broken by the way that the world had treated them and all I had to do was to show them that that perspective and perception was wrong just a little bit and I'm not saying that any of them went on to become world leaders, but you know, some of my young people that I'm still in touch with have gone on to do incredible things. And these are young people who've been out of school from six and seven years of age. Yeah. And all it takes is to see somebody's perspective that is a better version of you to realize that actually, it's not that it's a better version of you, it's you just seen in a more fair way. I think that we do so much damage to young people. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a flower. If you give it sunlight and water it regularly, mm -hmm. it'll grow and blossom, become this beautiful thing. You'll see it open up and yeah. evolve. Other children, if they're being shouted at and they're constantly in trouble, especially if they're being abused or... Mm. Which is yeah. what happens to a lot of these children. Yeah. Same and in prison. People in prison never want to tell the story of maybe 70% of men who are in there being sexually abused. We don't want to see criminals as victims, but they are. 
Yeah. They're hugely victims. That, that's the pattern. 90% yeah. of the time, if somebody's been abused, not in every case, but majority of the time, they'll go on, they'll have mental health problems. Quite mm. often, they'll have trauma, trapped energies. I know, I've had a lot of people on this show, and you'd be surprised how many have been abused. Mm. It's, it's very common. Not a lot will talk about it on camera, but you know, it's yeah. more prevalent than I realised. I didn't know until I started doing this. Yeah. Well, the NSPCC say one in 20 is sexually abused, but actually there's another statistic that says that one in six is sexually abused when you include things like cyber sexual abuse and photos being shared and all of that stuff. So it's a yeah. massive amount of people. You know, Western human beings are traumatised a lot, even more so after the last year. Yeah. I think school, when you go in, children have still got the big toe dipped in what they call cosmic consciousness. Mm. The, these beautiful beings, they're connected to source, and I think they still have gifts that we lose as we get older. Of course. And become more influenced and Yeah, well, if we ship twisted, people in a box and stick them there yeah. and say, this is the box, don't move out of it, it's really hard to, you know, if you're an indigo child, run off and imagine that you can go and celebrate, you know, the solstice because suddenly everybody thinks you're a dickhead. Yeah. That's the truth because... We have the very linear belief system about what is right and what is wrong. It's failing massively. I mean, just go and walk around the streets. It's failing massively. Just go and look in hospitals. It's failing massively. People are helpless and people are becoming more helpless in lots of different ways. And it's broken. The blueprint for modern living is broken. Mm -hmm. But nobody's brave enough to just go out there and change it. You can only change it in your pockets like I try to. But we really need a complete revamp of how life is. And we need each other. We need health. We need wellness. We need fitness. We need all those things. We need white light. We need eating together. We need singing together. We need yeah. playing together. We need all the things that make humans happy. It's a very mm. simple recipe. We've done a lot to distort it because we have to. It's capitalist. We say, if you buy this, you'll be happy. If you own this, you'll be happy. And it's a lie, but it's very convincing. Yeah. And people buy into it and then you're stuck. Whereas if we were like, you know what we really need is to just be together and have wisdom. Elderly people, they're wise. They yeah. should be protected and looked after in our own communities. We shouldn't put them in homes to, not that there's anything wrong with people who can't look after them, but I'm saying our society isn't set up to do what it should be able to do, which is to embrace people of all ages yeah. and all situations. Well, I've said, if you're looking at it from a financial point of view from the government, old people are highly inconvenient. They're not playing taxes, mm. they're not working, they're a big drain on the NHS. The amount of money, it's a harsh view, but the amount of money that's been saved because people aren't getting the treatment that they're supposed to have. And, I mean, if old people weren't here, they're claiming pensions and things like this. So they're highly inconvenient for the government. Yeah. Young people, when they're fresh out of school, they're pursuing material wealth. They're bought into it for a while. You know, most of them, you get to your 30... 30s, 40s, and you start to think, hang on, this is bullshit, and you figure <laughs> out. But certainly for a while, in my early 20s, I bought into it. You know, you do. Yeah, yeah. I've been quite lucky in the fact I haven't really ever bought into it. I was pumped up on steroids, off my head, completely, you know, watches, clothes, things really? like this. Yeah, for a while. Yeah, and then I realised I was desperately unhappy, and yeah. that's when I had my nervous breakdown. Went, spent a few years in a, a lot of my time in a monastery. Wow. And became a Buddhist. And Amazing. I was seriously considering being called a monk at that point, but I decided that I felt like I still had things to do. So I loved running a mental health service at a really big college, really enjoyed it, loved the staff, loved my own people, but I really didn't like the systems. I don't like systems. I don't think that you should have to spend ages organizing an administrative system to order like a pen. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I was just in a situation where my ex-husband had just left, He'd had a relationship with a really good friend of mine. Mm. I had two really young children and I thought, I'm on my ass. Realistically, if I'd stayed in that job, I couldn't have afforded to pay my mortgage because I had three days at work, 
that was it. And I thought, I'm gonna have to bring in some money. So I thought, well, I'll just leave and I'll just try and do things without the same catch net that I believed I needed. So I did, and within about two years, I was earning more than I'd ever earned, and I was just doing it on my own terms. And that has carried on until recently, really. That's been positive. How old were you at this point, Emma? This transition, this period? Let me think about that now. Probably 33, 35, something like that, yeah. And this is when you got, how old do you know? You 47. Not, oh, I'm 48. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. I, I just assumed you were younger than me. Oh, well, I mean, it's an easy assumption to make, well, you know. I've got to say that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Terrible, I thought you were 54. <laughs> this is when you got into the media then, when you this changed your yes, direction. Yes, I got a job presenting a show called People Watchers, and it was a 20 part for the BBC. Did it, thought it was hilariously fun. I was being able to do things like walk into a shop and shoplift to see people's reaction and just all these really mischievous things, which just suited me down to the ground. And then it just never ended, I guess. And I started writing and all those things. And I've always just kind of got on with my jobs that I do, presented a lot of crime shows. I've done loads of crime series. But my whole emphasis has always been the same, just like how do I reach as many people as possible? And TV gives you a shopping window for that, it really does. And I've always been very well behaved and never really got myself into any fixes, but obviously COVID came along and I was very opinionated. So it's been a strange old year. Yeah. So you've been, you've done a lot of these crime programmes, you've been on, is it a Good Morning, is that right? You're... I used to do, um, well, I mean, back in the day it was GMTV, right. then it became Daybreak, then it became Good Morning Britain. Good Morning Britain I don't do very often, I used to, Yeah. but I don't think Piers Morgan likes me very much, shall we say? I don't like him. We don't have very similar views. Mm. So it's this morning that I've done for a long time. Yeah. I do the Agony Ant column there with this morning, so... I'm usually on once a week. It's and really good. You write for Closer. Closer. I've done that for nearly a decade. Right. I love writing for what Closer. What is it? Closer magazine. It's the most popular female yeah. magazine in the UK. I mean, and what, I do. What do you do? In yeah, it? I do yeah. the life column. So problems. You know, at the moment, it's a lot about getting back to normal and trying not to be anxious and all those yeah. things because people are really traumatized. I don't know anybody that's not at some point over the last twelve yeah. months suffered. You know? I agree. I think that's why we should focus more on what connects us and separates us. Yeah. I think there's a lot of separation about who thinks what. There's the pro-vaccines, there's the anti-vaccines, there's the pro-lockdown, there's an anti-lockdown, there's all of these kind of things. But in between, we kind of all want the same things. Yeah. Yeah. I've There's a lot of division in the country at the so minute. So much. And people that I've known for many years don't share my opinions and beliefs. Mm. And we sort of drifted apart. And it's a shame. You also had a radio show. What? What was that, Emma? So I've just finished, actually, my contract with Scala Radio. I did a year with them. Scala, where's that based? It's the classical music show. It's national. Oh, nice. In London. But I'm going to be honest, classical really isn't my thing. I love it. No, I'm contemporary mm. piano. Mm. Not really into the old Beethoven stuff. No. I'm much more into, like, Alexis French, Einaudi, all of yeah. those. Love. Yeah. It has to be more spiritual music for me. Like, yeah. so kind of piano is very spiritual. Yeah. But at the minute that you've got like a brass band, I just lose faith. I no. can't do it. I think like anything, I don't like all classical music, but the bits I do like. Yeah, I love, I love it. Know. Yes, so I like that music, of course. I've, I've been to watch London Concertante at Manchester Cathedral, which is yeah. a chamber orchestra, about 12, 13 times. And because I wrote about them in the book and I became friendly with them, they reserved the front two row for us. And I, t I took Aww. 30 people for the Christmas do, And everybody went down and it, we were... It's just beautiful. You know, yeah, right? I go and see I now do whenever he's touring. I like 
contemporary pianist, I really do. But I was doing that. My contract ended there like a few weeks ago. And I do Travel.Radio, which is just like a travel industry one, which is Saturday and Sunday, which is cheesy pop, which I just love because it's hilarious. I mean, yeah. I can just say what I want. They just let me get away with anything. Yeah. So that's fun. And I think that most of the things that I do, I just try to enjoy. Same with my YouTube. I love YouTube, but only mm. because I've got freedom. Yeah. And also I do cross-platform mental health lives twice a week. Was three times a week, but my husband's working on a Friday now, so he can't do it for me. Yeah. It's like my little slave. Yeah. But I think anything that allows you to just kind of communicate with people and share your thoughts is really powerful. The podcast you've done, I've seen you've done, you've got your meditations on YouTube. Yeah. You've got your crime sort of documentaries. That's right. Isolating different, um, you know. Serial music, killers. Yes. Jeffrey Dahmer and yeah. Fred West. They've got mega views, haven't they? They're, they're I've only just started them, but they're doing really well, yeah. They're getting 50,000, 60,000 views within a yeah, couple of weeks. Yeah, I've only literally just started those about five weeks ago. I didn't really do YouTube, but I know a YouTuber and he was saying to me I need to really get into it and has told me how to do it. So I've been doing it. And I'm really surprised that I'm getting like 60,000 views. But I mean, great. And also he's made me go, he keeps saying that I've got to do a one or two a week where they're just shorter ones about kind of, just what's happening in the press, yeah, that kind of stuff. And again, yeah, it's shocking. I didn't know you could make money from things like that. I'm mm. so naive, but it's great. I mean, I'd like to do that all the time. I'd quite happily just do YouTube all the time. My dream would be to be able to do this morning once a week because I bloody love it. Yeah, It's the funnest job I've ever had because you just get to say what you think and give advice. And I think that's just so amazing. But secondly, I'd just like to do my own content because I really like being able to have freedom. I find restrictions really painful. I find the whole of this year has been very painful yeah. because I just think that it's told us that we're not allowed to say what we think. I think that's such a terrible lesson and, for kids. I, I never thought we'd see that in our mm. lifetime. No. I never thought some of the things I've seen, I thought they were always coming, but I thought they were 30, 40, 50 years away and boom, 12 months. And the freedoms that we have as human beings is being able to breathe, mm. freedom to roam, freedom of association, to be a sovereign being and decide what you put in your body, whether it's food, vaccines, things like this, and the freedom of speech. And they've gone for all of them at once. It's a really weird time. I don't know how I feel about anything apart from my subjective experience. Yeah. I still have this hope that people will always in the end make the right decisions. Genuinely, I do believe that. Mm. I mean, I get called anti-vax and I'm not anti-vax at all. I just said that I don't think that children should be forced to have mandated vaccines for something that won't damage them because that would be, in my opinion, not ethical. But seeing how that's weaponized against people like me. Yeah. And also, if you are staunchly anti-vax, I'm not gonna have an issue with you because you have a right to your opinion. And I think that that's what a democracy offers. And I also think that we shouldn't ever give our own accountability and responsibility for our bodies away to anybody else. We should have self-power. Yeah. But I've seen a really scary, creeping dominion over opinion. And you're allowed to say that, you're not allowed to say that. You mm. can be present, you're gonna be absent. If you say that, this will be the consequence. That is not the way that I've grown up and it's not mm. the way I can continue to grow. So it's, for me, it's an interesting one because I think that a lot of us are starting to feel that we just wanna have that sense of community and companionship yeah. and control over our world. With censorship, if I have an opinion, and then you have an opinion, and your opinion is, it's, it's a lot of bullshit, then 
there's no need to censor it because just by a little bit of research, right. looking into it, you'll think, well, that's a load of crap. Yeah. So it's not a threat. When you're so saying something that could jeopardise my argument or my opinion, then they don't want you to say it. So whenever they start to censor something, you've got to ask yourself, why? Mm. And it's usually because that information, that viewpoint, that perspective is a threat to that narrative. Ricky Gervais says about Twitter a brilliant thing. He said that the thing about Twitter is it's like walking into a music shop, seeing an advert for guitar lessons, and then ringing the person to shout, I don't want guitar lessons. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. I didn't realize that social media worked like that. I was quite naive. I've got a really nice group of people who follow me. I kind of care yeah. for my cyber family. Had a lot of people try to kill themselves and we've got ambulances to them. So it's really useful for me. Yeah. And all the other platforms, you know, I've got nice followers, but Twitter in the past 12 months has become toxic, aggressive, yeah. hostile the way that they try to get people canceled for their perspectives and opinions. It's just not my style. Like I would never want to cancel anybody for their opinions, not even people who I would say are given a position that they shouldn't be given to spout disinformation and lies. I don't think you should be canceled. I think you should just be an equal individual yeah. who's able to express themselves about what they think is information and truth, but it's not the way that the world works right now. But then chaos creates growth and there are always moments of great friction before moments of peace. So I don't, even when I'm on a day where I'm thinking, do I want to just leave the country and go and live in Costa Rica, which has definitely been on my mind recently. Yeah. Then I just think to myself, we'll always find a way forward. It's our nature. Midnight is when darkness turns to light. It's the dawn of a new day. It's a new beginning. Mm. And that's what the name represents. It's when, it's when you start to make... I say a successful life is simply this. It's one good decision followed by another. The mm. second you make two consecutive good decisions, you change direction, mm. you gain momentum, and off you go. And it's never too late. Anybody mm. can do that. And I believe we will move towards Yeah, the we I just will, think this is the difficult there. point. It's this is the friction period. point. Yeah. I think it's also important for us to remind our children of what's normal and what's abnormal. Yeah. I've kept my kids very aware of the fact that they want a freedom that we haven't currently got and to remember what childhood was like and all the things that's really powerful. Because even now my son's got a moped, I got him one for Christmas because he's 16. So I want him to be able to have a bit of adventure and risk and he can't take a CBT test. And you're like, how can a CBT test be bad? You're outside, you're on a bike, you're separate to the other people. Why are they not allowed to do a CBT test? It just feels like that stops people being able to be delivery drivers. Yeah. It stops being able, people being able to work. It stops having people having freedom. It's just ridiculous. The scary thing is, as adults, we've got contrast because we know life before yeah. and life now. Yeah. Children, the damage that's been done to children is, in some cases, irreparable because if they're being brought up in this current climate, they don't know any different. No. We know no, I definitely think individualism is becoming more of a problem in the fact that, you know, everyone's on headsets, everyone's on computers. Mm. So kids haven't had the same impact as somebody like myself. Like, I hate this time. I hate it. You know, I'm being grateful for the things that I can be grateful for, but I hate it. Whereas my kids have got used to being on headsets, so it's not quite as bad for them. My eldest girlfriend moved in with us because there's no way that I'm going to have them separate during lockdown. So yeah. we've managed it in ways where he's having the time of his life, you know, <laughs> him and his girlfriend at 18, <laughs> like having great fun and eating together and cooking together, become really domesticated. My youngest son, who's not got that, is just on the floor. Yeah. He hates it. Yeah. My only thing is that I just keep saying to him, well, we won't stay. You know, I'm never going to make you live this life. This is not going to be our life. Nobody can control that apart from us. So wherever we end up, it won't be here if this is how it carries on. I think when one door closes, another one opens. Mm. And we have to be like a reed in the wind, stay flexible. And I know in this period, 
last 12 months, I've had to rethink, plan a new direction, make some changes, keep moving forward, and you've got to adapt, grow, and overcome, haven't you? you know? Yeah, definitely. The past 12 months has given me loads of food for thought, but the year before, my dad killed himself, and that really meant that this last year has just been more of us ducks back as far as trauma is concerned. Like, yeah. when you go through the suicide of somebody that you love most in the world, you're not in a situation where you can look at potentially getting a bug as problematic. It's yeah. just like, that's life, life happens. Yeah. How old was your father? He was just 77. He was 77, he was amazing. He was the kindest, funniest, gentlest, most excited human being you'd ever meet, but he got um, sepsis. So people don't really know, but sepsis can cause a thing called delirium. Delirium causes sometimes psychosis. It causes psychosis and my dad hated being in and out of psychosis for a period of time and he ended up killing himself. Yeah. But my dad had never been like that. His life was just full of joy. He was one of the most joyful people we could ever met. Yeah. So I actually found him. I got there, I had this really strange sense. I knew it was something really bad had happened. I caught him just after he'd done it, but I was not very good at doing the whole CPR and all of that. I was a bit yeah. hysterical. First time I think I've ever panicked in my life. But also that's something that's teaching me to let go. I know it sounds really weird, but I know that grief will always be as painful in that moment as I found him, as it will be when I die. I get it. But I know that life will bubble wrap it. And I know that he's safe. I know that he's with, in my opinion, God, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to seeing him again. Yeah. I have like no fear of death at all. And when he did that, I remember thinking that the one lesson is that nothing will ever hurt as badly. And I know it won't, nothing, unless something happened to one of my children. But watching my kids go through that has been really painful because I always made life safe and you can't protect them. Yeah. But equally, it's a humbling experience to learn and grow. And now I know that when people say that they understand or empathize with suicide, they're off the chops unless they actually have been there because you don't know. It's like mm. a completely different loss. I nursed my best friend four years ago through cancer and lost her. She was my best friend from seven. I'd like spent an intense time losing and loving somebody that was incredibly important to me. Walking the park compared to my dad's loss. But the growth that's come from it, for example, my dad always used to say, the right way is rarely the easy way, but it's always the right way. And I would always live my life by that. It's so now yeah. I will not say what people want me to say. I will just say what's real and what's true and what's authentic. And every day, like I try to be better because I'm not I'm a really average human like most of us are, but I try to think about my impact more. And even the way that it's changed me as a person in the media, because I never really spoke out about things apart from on a personal level and on a live level when I'm doing my mental health groups, because I'm just really about interaction. But I started like really advocating and saying, this is wrong. You know, it's not right that we're making children in poverty worse off. It's not right that we're stopping people having businesses. And the backlash has been catastrophic for me. Yeah. But fuck it. Yeah. It's the yep. right thing to do nonetheless, right? I've yep. got to look at myself in 10 years. Yep. I've got to look at my kids. And they're, they're dead proud of me. They're not happy that it's affected us in lots of ways because they think that's injustice but they're happy that I'm the woman that they thought I was, mm. you know, that I won't accept the easy way forward, the financially beneficial way forward. It's just no point. Because no. at the end of it, I've got to live with myself, haven't I? 
to make a better world. It's people like you that have a position of responsibility and that have some media attention and that have a lot to lose still singing the song, still speaking You have the to truth. be willing to lose. Yeah. I think that that's the key. If somebody is willing to lose, it's because they have integrity. Yeah. Because it's painful losing. It really is. There's no doubt about it. It's anxiety provoking. It's upsetting. You don't do it in a way that makes you go, oh, I'm great. I don't care about losing that income or that income or people having that opinion or lies going in the press. You know, lies going in the press about me. It's really painful, but it's still right. Well, you must be doing something right because I've had a couple of trolls in the past, people like this. And when you're doing something right, that's when you get them. You don't get it when you're not making certain noises. And I, I know somebody else recently has had a bit of attention. And I said, when you're doing something right and you're successful, that's when you start getting the odd troll and stuff. So oh, just I've take got it. more than the odd troll. <laughs> yeah. I've got whole swathes of them that come after me. But, you know, it's water off a duck's back, isn't it? That I don't really care about that. I care about the power that Twitter has. I think it's wrong that anything can be weaponized in that way. I really do. I've been developing a social media site myself for years, which is just out at the moment. So that's come out and that gets troll free. If you're trolling, you get deleted and we delete your IP. What is it, that site? <laughs> what is it? It's called Appy. If you go on the web, like App Store for iOS and App Store for Google Play, it's there. Appy Health and Wellbeing. But if you just put Appy in, it comes up. It's like thousands of fitness videos, thousands of recipes, meal plans, loads of health advice, loads of meditation programs, all free. Yeah. And this is what Sally's involved with as well, is it? Well, I'm going to get her involved ah, in. Right, she doesn't right. have a choice. She doesn't realise how involved she is. But yeah, she's already deep in it without knowing. Yeah. I believe that when somebody dies in that realm, the laws of physics don't apply. When you get outside the electromagnetic yeah. spectrum, time and space have no relevance there. They're not governed by the laws no. of nature. So somebody could die now, and in 20 years I could die. And when I pass over... It, only a second has passed for them yeah. and it's immediate and so all these people the best versions of themselves when they're full of joy and bliss I think we'll see them all yeah of course all again and we'll be reunited I yeah. think we all re reconnect with source once again you know I just think consciousness is consciousness you know mm. like as in that video we were talking about earlier on with the ayahuasca he talks about the television screen when the television is broken, the still attached, you know, the energy is yeah. still there. And I think that's really true. And also I've studied a lot on de death research. I, it sounds really depressing, but I love death research. Yeah. And also like, I feel the visceral connection with my father. Yeah. I feel it. That video is called The War on Consciousness. That's it? it. That's the one. It's great. great well remembered. Yeah. Ching. Yeah. So Emma, maybe tell us if somebody wants to watch your YouTube stuff, where did they go? What's your Emma Kenny called? TV, all and of mine. Kenny's K E double M Y. Yeah, it? Emma Kenny TV, all of my social media handles, mm. and my free mental health clinics are on a Monday and Wednesday at eight thirty PM across platform, apart from YouTube, because apparently it ruins the algorithm, and then that stops you getting views, which I didn't know. Yeah. And my crime stuff is on YouTube, but all Emma Kenny TV. Yeah, and the app is called Appy, and that's Appy. just in the App Store. It's in the app store. It's not entirely finished. It's in beta at the moment, but it's pretty cool. And it's a social network as well. You can upload your own content. You can do your own meditation. You can grow your own network, all of those things. It has nearly crippled me financially, yeah. but I just wanted to do something good for the world. I remember being a broke-ass single mum, you know? I wanted to, yeah. wanted to really, like, I struggled. And I wanted to make sure that no other woman or man or person who didn't have any income would struggle like I did back then because I wanted to feed my kids good food. I wanted to exercise every day. I wanted to be able to talk to people who got it, all of that. 
And so I created it when I finally could. Mm. And then the pandemic hit. So thanks for that, yeah. but never mind. A funny story. When I was looking up some information about you, Emma, yeah. on the internet, I put in Emma, K-E-N-N-E-Y, and I thought, no way, she's an Irish dancer as yeah, well. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I mean, if I'm not Irish dancing, what am I doing? Do you know what I mean? And people also think I'm Emma Kennedy, who's the comic writer, uh, so that I get a lot. Emma Kennedy, and I'm like, no, no not as rich, not no. as rich. One of the most recent videos, which I'd shared before I'd connected with you, you spoke about your children and how when you brought them into this world, you decided that they were your priority. You yeah. put them first, regardless of consequence, you were going to make the right decisions and follow and direct and live your life by the things that are best for them. Yeah. You know, and I, that stopped me in my tracks. It actually, there's very few videos I listen to and they make me just for a moment, just stopped, listen and I thought it was a beautiful message and that, that everybody needs to be thinking along those lines. It's not just about now, it's about in 10 years, 20 years, where will we be if we don't steer this ship in the right direction now. Yeah, we have a duty mm. to our children and our future generations. We have a duty to the world, essentially. I think that what really surprises me is that people still don't think that power and money corrupts. It's like, are you joking? Mm. Did you ever know about colonialism? You know, this is absolutely what money and power does. You know, the last people I want running my life are billionaires. I don't want them to because they don't give a shit about me. Yeah. I want us to understand that children, to quote Whitney Houston, are our future. Yeah. But right now in the UK, it's so unequal. It's so unequal. It's so wrong. It devastates me. And people don't get that. You know, people have a very monolithic view of me. I see things. I don't read things online. But some people will send me things and they'll be like, people will be slagging off every element of who I am. But one of the things is they'll say like, oh, she's talking about a driver. What she'll mean a taxi driver. And their assumption is that I've got a freaking driver. Yeah. I mean, I would never have wealth like that. I give away. What matters yeah. to me is helping people. Money's got no value for me. This is why children, because they simplify, 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 because they're pure beings. They have a way of just cutting through the shite. And this will tell you something. I'd spoke to somebody recently and I thought this myself. And we're talking about a billionaire, somebody mm. that has all this money. And they said, and, and they're trying to help everybody. And I went, well, that's what they're telling you. Yeah. And they said, well, why don't they just give their money to the people they're trying to help? If somebody has a hundred billion pounds, yeah. just give you up half. You don't need that, do you? Give up you half Just keep a billion. Keep, keep 50 keep a billion. billion. You're keep still ridiculously rich. And you could still, you could near enough wipe out world hunger tomorrow, tomorrow. Well, the top billionaires could absolutely wipe out. So if they out. really cared, yeah. they'd be feeding people. Yeah. Now. Exactly. The you thing know, about so it's lies, it's all lies. The thing about struggle, real struggle, is it teaches you the importance of things. And I don't think that if you've ever been in a situation where you haven't had struggle, then you don't understand what it's like to be a human in the way that most humans endure. Because life can be really hard. And mm. at the moment, I'm just at that point where I think there is a very simple remedy to human happiness, and that is to teach people to be healthier, empower them to be part of communities, live in a different way. You know, we live in boxes, we die in boxes, we drive in boxes. That's not the way forward. And even I feel that I've wanted a sense of community for a long time. But kids are kids. The last thing you want is their mental health declining further. Since the 60s, all we've seen is a steady decline in mental health. If that's something we can see, why aren't we stopping it? Yeah. And you don't stop it through therapy. Your therapy is helpful. It can help you manage your mental health, but it doesn't change your direction. 
unless you have the right elements around you. And yeah. our society is growing further and further away from those elements. And I'm trying to grow us back to those elements. And if you think that a coder is the right kind of person to decide what your future will be, you want to see the difference between what a coder viewpoint of the world will be versus somebody like an empath, which is what I am. Like, let me design your future because it will involve good food, company, singing, dancing, freedom, happiness, connection, caring for our children together, caring for our elderly together, living in a way that's truthful and authentic. Let me do that because that will give you an absolute outcome. You know, they've just involved a massive investment in, and we're talking a massive investment, into a program designed by psychiatrists and psychologists which is basically a therapy program run by a bot. Because the first and best thing you'd like in an existential loneliness crisis is a frigging bot. A robot, yeah. You know, answering you on your phone. Yeah. At that point, I'm out. I'm out. That's what this whole experience is about. We're, we're absolutely moving away from what it is to make such human. And you know... We have people out there like Klaus Schwab who absolutely say that they want an integrative experience between human and cyborg. They believe that's the next upgrade. They think it's evolution. Well, you know what? When I look at somebody mm. like Elon Musk, who's got Neuralink, for example, yeah. if that can put into the brain and spine and create connections with people who've had strokes and walk, I'm all for it. I really am, okay? Anything that can increase human experience, right? As long as that person is not going to change and you know be dramatically impacted on it apart from positively, then great, like you use your cameras. I'm not against technology. I'm totally pro-technology. I think technology is incredible, but I think it has to be tempered. Yeah. Funnily enough, Boris Johnson did an amazing speech, incredible speech about- I must have missed it. Honestly, it's amazing. Okay. Before all of this, because he's a libertarian. He's a fucking tool. But he's a libertarian. Yeah. You might think that, and I don't know what's happened and what's gone on. It's unenviable, whatever's gone on. I don't mm. want to be in that situation. But he is a libertarian. He wants more democracy than most in that way. But he did this amazing speech all about how Alexa is stamping her feet and clucking her teeth and demanding of you. And the fact that we've got to be careful about that whole regeneration into different kind of life which is involving AI yeah. and it was fabulous and it was true and like I said I'm not against AI I'm not against technology I think it can be incredible like I said if you can get a paralyzed child walking then I am all for it yeah. but it's more that what most people don't realize is most of this AI is about data harvesting it's about taking every element of who you are and what you think and then it's about selling it back to you product by product price by price yeah. for the rest of your life and that's being imprisoned as far as I'm concerned. They reckon Bezos, Jeff Bezos, early on realised that it was not the products that made the money, it was the accumulation of data that he could then sell on. And that he's, I mean, he was a mathematician. He, and you've he, got to give it to him. Yeah, very clever man. And you've also got to give it to him that Amazon is a faultless, seamless experience. You know, let's be honest, you can do your Morrison shop within 24 hours if you've got Amazon Prime. It's not like he's exploiting you in a way that you don't feel some benefit from it, right? So again, I look at somebody like Bezos, who at least hasn't been out there telling us how we've got to live our lives, you know? We might be doing it in the background, yeah. I don't know. But he just seems to want to be rich and get on with it, right? He knows that in 10 years, he won't have one human being working at his centers. His fulfillment centers will not require one human being. It will all be automatic, all be robot-based. So all of those Amazon workers will not work. 
in around 10 years. If you've been to one of his depots or places, they're massively automated now, yeah, aren't they? I yeah. mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's incredible. It. It is incredible. Yeah. You know, I always think, you know, it's very easy to kind of go down one side or the other side. And for me, I will look at something and think, well, that system's brilliant, the way it works. It is amazing. But we still need human beings to have purpose and employment. Mm. And it'll be terrible if we lose that. So I think that we have to think about what is it that the human race needs? Like, as in, on a cellular level what is it that we need and we don't need more and more computers and ai and lack of autonomy we need more autonomy and connection and nature nature yeah. is everything we need connection yeah. to nature yeah. i think as human beings we think we're above nature we think we're at the top oh, of the no. pile yeah no. we're not and it's it's very egotistical and very naive to think that and every now and again we think that nature will come back and bite us in the ass yeah she know. knows what she's doing yeah we're not above we're just part of a system we're not above it we think you know we're highly intelligent and that animals are below us and stuff and they're not no. they're sentient beings too we're part of a system and we're the, we're the thorn we're, we're 98.8% that... related to chimpanzees 98.8% mm. are DNA they're just perfectly evolved for their climate and experience and environment we're not exactly that's the problem with us they fit in. They're all symbiotic. They work mm. together. Bonobos have a lot of sex and really play and have a lot of fun. It's brilliant. I would choose yeah. to be a bonobo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good chimpanzee sex is a great one to end on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Emma Kenny, I'm so, so happy you came yeah. on the show. I've, I feel honoured. I really do. I'm delighted. And it's been my pleasure. It's been my pleasure too. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I hope we're going to get you back at some point. Peace out. Yeah. Okay, folks, thanks for watching. This has been the Midnight McBride Show, show number 67. You can watch this video podcast every Monday and every Thursday on YouTube. And you can subscribe and you'll get the notifications. You can get the audio podcast three days later, and that comes out on Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, Amazon, Google, and many more. You can buy the book on Amazon, From Pills to Peace. You can get it in paperback and Kindle. You can get the audiobook on Amazon, iTunes and ACX. You can listen to the radio show every Monday night on Salford City Radio, 94.4 FM. And that's the Mind, Body and Spirit show with me, Midnight McBride, from 11 till midnight. You can catch me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. And you can go to the website, midnightmcbride.com. Thanks for watching and I'll see you next time. Shalom.